The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which was between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you had brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. (coughs) Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. 
Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. And Omer is one-tenth of an epaph. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you very much, Celia. She got the short straw with a long reading today, but uh, that was fine. So, anybody know how much an omer is? How much was an omer of manna? A tenth of an effer. There you got it. It's about two litres, actually, okay. So, this morning's topic is food uh, from heaven. Uh, So first I want to talk about a song uh, for life's journey. Do you have a song that you like for life's journey? I wonder if you've ever listened to Desert Island Discs. It's a radio programme that started in 1942 and each week a guest comes along and is interviewed uh, as as they have to pretend they're a castaway on this desert island and they select eight tracks of music, a book and a luxury item uh, to take with them and a host interviews them about their choices and links to their life story. And if you're watching uh, Richard Osman's House of Games on Friday, that was the quiz question, who was the current uh, presenter? And it's Lawrence Laverne. So I wonder what uh, you might choose. Well, I might choose, if I was choosing a song for my life's journey, I might choose, uh, I've got eight songs, remember, so I might choose something like... uh, John, the John Dunbar theme from Dancers with Wolves, or I might choose Roads Go Ever On, sung by Klamawi Profundis, who we've never heard of, but they sing just like Nick Mendham there, very deep voice, okay? Uh, so that's fine, but what I would need really on my desert island, I'd want to strengthen my relationship with God, so I'd need like a song like we've been singing this morning, or maybe I'd choose one like How Great Thou Art, perhaps, How Great Thou Art, or maybe Jesus is King, that's one of my favourite songs. So it would be good to have those on my lips, I think, as I went around. So I wonder what song you might choose yourself, and tell me afterwards if you have a song that you might choose. Or maybe you prefer to look out for a passing boat instead of wasting time with listening to the song, look for a boat, like the man who was absolutely sure he would be rescued from the desert island. Because after all, he was the only one of the gang who knew where the loot was hidden. Now, God's people Israel had escaped from Egypt thanks to God's intervention. He miraculously got them across the Red Sea and the pursuers perished, you'll remember. 
And as they set out for the uh, land promised to Abraham back in Genesis 17 and reaffirmed to Moses in Exodus 6, they needed an inspiring song for the journey. And actually, in the, ver- in the chapter before that was read to us in 15, Exodus 15, there is that song which should have been in their hearts and on their minds and on their lips, the song of Moses and Miriam. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. So what a wonderful song, and they should have had it in their minds. They'd sung it not long before. What a fantastic song to keep in their minds. Now, as they journeyed on, Israel need to realize that the saving God of the Red Sea could also be the providing God of the desert wilderness. Now, we are not this morning going into a desert wilderness, as far as I know, but as we are pilgrims on a journey with God, which will have its ups and downs, uh, do think about this. What song you would have? Do you have a song to encourage you? So that song for me is very good. Jesus is King and I will extol him, give him the glory and honour his name. He reigns on high, enthroned in the heavens, word of the Father, exalted for us. And apart from the song, you could have some Bible verses, and if you're not good at memorising Bible verses, you're allowed to take your Bible on the desert island, not part of the other uh, portfolio, just uh, colour on in the ones that you want to remember and look at them often. So how about John 10.10? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So my outline is on the the screen here. But uh, I'm going to go now to the highs and lows of Israel's journey. That's the second point. So uh, we'll need the map now. So I I couldn't find a map that uh, uh, actually gave what I wanted. So I've produced the map myself. So apologies for it. It's not particularly brilliant. But it only has on it things I want you to see. So they started in Ramesses, you can see the red line which is their journey. So in the top left is Ramesses in Egypt. They went to Succoth, then to Elam, then they went north led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They turned north to Pi-Hahiroth opposite Baal-Zephon and it was there that they crossed the Red Sea. Okay, so that's what happened before. Now, last week we heard about the bitter waters at Mara. So if you come down uh, the route, you'll see that Mara is on the side uh, of the water there further down. And also, at the end of last week's reading, they went to a place called Elim. If you're interested in uh, exactly all the places they stayed, they're all listed in Numbers chapter 33. So then, last week then... um, when Cheska was speaking, she left us there in Elim, Exodus 5:27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. So journeys have their ups and downs, don't they? But last week for them, it was very seriously an up. Pleasant days with some leafy shade and with some water to drink. What's not to like about that? But of course they couldn't stay there, they were on a journey uh, to the promised land. They needed to press on and follow where God was preparing for them. But soon things would be going to come much more challenging. 
And we too are on a pilgrimage, so we, we do too don't need to just settle back comfortably where we are. We all like ease, I certainly do, but we shouldn't be settling back comfortably, but looking to where God is wanting to lead us onto. So are you looking yourself to God for what God wants next for you in your life? And journeying with God is not just about the destination, it's about the journey. It's learning to walk with God day by day. It's learning to trust and obey. And then he can begin to mould us into a person more like Jesus. Now what God had in store for the Israelites in this lovely place of Elim was a desert wilderness. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon of a century before last actually said, they call the wilderness the Oxford and Cambridge for God's students because it's there that we find out what's in our hearts. So Israel had come out of Egypt but Egypt needed to be got out of the hearts of the Israelites. And if you want to know what state they were in uh, you need to look at uh, Ezekiel 20 which tells of how Israel had gone far astray. They'd been there a very long time They'd gone far astray for God. They served vile images and idols of wood and stone. And uh, looking back, that seems absolutely ridiculous. But we have our own idols of something. uh, You can think of what might be an idol for you. They were sacrificing on hilltops and under leafy trees. And uh, they were uh, um, even sacrificing their own children, firstborn children. Can you imagine that, as some of the pagans did? So as God moved them on, there were things they needed to let go. So is there anything you think, search your own heart, that maybe you need to let go this morning as you're following on uh, the pilgrimage with God? So it's not when life is trouble-free that we develop in character. Uh, We develop in character when we're up against it. uh, Because when it's trouble-free, we might turn inwards and just be concerned about ourselves. So I rather like the, uh, the poem about the weaver, which is weaving, which is about the high and low spots, about the bright and dark spots. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colours he weaves steadily. Oft times he weaves sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skilful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. But he knows, he loves, he cares, nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. So the eagle's wings which bear up the children of uh, God are only there once we have left the nest. So it's well to leave Elim behind and press on to where God has for us in the future. So is there anything this morning that we need to leave behind? Think about it. And it's only when we come to the end of our own resources that actually we truly start to rely on God. That's exactly what Israel needed to do. So am I and are you living in dependence on God? So to the food from heaven for Israel. So two fantastic facts about God and one uncomfortable truth. Uh, The first fantastic uh, fact was mirrored in what Sarah had up on the screen for us, Uh, though this is a different uh, place, saying something similar. 
Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And further on in the same psalm, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. So that's really good news. So Israel moved on from Elim into the desert of sin, which has nothing to do with evil, just what the place is called. And you, you may have spotted it on the map that I put up there. So they're one and a half months, so it's in red then, um, near the, in Mount, you see Mount Sinai at the bottom of the peninsula and the wilderness of sin just above it. So that's where, we, uh, that's where we're talking, uh, talking about it. So they were one and a half months into the journey. Food was running out. They'd left the place with the palm trees and the springs. And they, uh, last week we heard about the bitter water. There wasn't a supermarket in sight and they needed some food. So then they started to grumble against Moses and Aaron. So they rather wished they would have preferred, to, they said, to have died in Egypt than to be where they were. Now we think maybe grumbling's not so, so bad really, but grumbling is quite, can be serious because it can lead us on uh, to disobedience, unbelief and disobedience, which can be serious, as we'll see in a moment. So that they should have remembered whose they were. They were God's children. And they should have remembered their song, their wonderful song. Why had they forgotten that? But nevertheless, God was going to show his graciousness and goodness thanks to the first, those first two fantastic facts. He was going to provide supernatural food. In Exodus 16, verse 8, Moses said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. So the meat in the evening was provided by migrating quail flying over and landing exhausted in the camp so they're easy to catch. This wasn't a daily occurrence, this was a one-time event and was celebrated by the psalmist in Psalm 78. He rained down meat on them like dust and flying birds like sand on the seashore. So the meat in the evening and the bread in the morning. And as we've heard in the reading, it was a substance found very early uh, just after the dew. It was like thin flakes of frost which looked like coriander seed and was white. They gathered it, they ground it as you would grain, and made it into wafers, which you remember tasted of honey, that's right. So Psalm 78 called it the bread of angels, Psalm 78, verse 25. But Israel called it manna, which came from the Hebrew words, I don't know much Hebrew, but I know a few words. It came from the Hebrew manhu, which they said when they saw it, because it means, man who means, what is it? So manna actually is, what is it? And I don't suppose they ever found out. But it was God's supernatural provision for, 20, for 40 years in the wilderness. And they were to gather an omer of it, and you all know that that's two pints now, and a tenth of an ephah. So there we are. But the other thing about this is God's graciousness also involved a test of obedience. They were to gather enough for their families for five days and on the sixth day, twice as much so that on the Sabbath, and I think this is the first time a lot is made of the Sabbath, you could rest completely on the Sabbath day. Now, if you're wondering if I've forgotten the uncomfortable truth, well, this is the moment for the uncomfortable truth. It's also in Exodus 34 verse 7. It mentioned that God 
does not leave the guilty unpunished. So Israel's repeated grumblings led to failure to trust God and ultimately when they came to the moment they should have gone into the promised land, Numbers 14, they did not obey and they refused. So, the bad news, for for lack of obedience, Israel's adults all perished in the wilderness, all except Joshua and Caleb, who led their children into the promised land later. And that's happened many times before in the Bible. For lack of obedience, Adam had his contract for looking after the garden terminated. Moses had his visa for the promised land cancelled. And Jonah found his name moved off the passenger list. And Saul had his kingdom passed on to another. And uh, prophet, prophet Samuel said to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So when we find things tough on our journey, as we will from time to time, remember whose you are. And remember, have a song, have some verses of scripture to help you. What will be our song? What will be our verses? And turn to God for help. Uh, Vance Havner, you maybe not have heard of him, American pastor and writer, I've got one of his books, said this, that in trouble, this is a victory that overcomes the world when we are shipwrecked on God and stranded relying on his omnipotence. So finally then, uh, what relevance is that to us? Food from heaven for us. So Jesus is only actually mentioned by name in the New Testament, but the Old Testament is all about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever studied the threads of Jesus in the Old Testament. If anybody wants some guidance, I can give, give you something on that. But in, uh, remember when Jesus met the two on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24, we read about it. It says this, Jesus, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So we can find references in one way or another, in prophecies, uh, in types, uh, in theophanies throughout the Bible. So Jesus is actually not just popping up in the New Testament, he's the theme of the whole book. So God's provision of physical food, manna, for the Israelites in the wilderness foreshadowed God providing for us spiritual food as Jesus, who is the bread of life. I remember in the feeding of the 5,000, after that, people came charging up, trying to find him again. Uh, But Jesus knew their motives. He said this, you're looking for me not because of the miraculous sign, but because you had your fill of the food. So they gorged out on food and they came back for more food. So the food was supposed to show them a sign. They missed the sign. All they saw was the food. So Jesus warns about materialism and forgetting about the spiritual things in life. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So we need to follow this sign. This feeding of the 5,000 was a wonderful event, but they and we are supposed to get it that this is a sign that he is, Jesus is God and is from God. But the people were still obsessed with the food and mentioned that Moses had provided manna in the wilderness. And Jesus said, no, it was God that provided 
the manna in the wilderness. Many today are just focusing on material things. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you find that the the verdict of of the writer there is that just pursuing material things and not the spiritual things is totally meaningless and is a chasing after the wind, as it puts it. So the void in the human heart can never be filled by possessions, achievements, positions, by power. So how much are we seeking the spiritual this morning? And people also wanted to know what they must do to do the works of God. And Jesus said, no, it's not about what you must do. It's about believing, to believe the one he has sent. John 17 has a fantastic verse, which I love. This is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And surprisingly, they said, well, show us a sign. Isn't that amazing? Show us a sign when they've just seen a sign. And there are people around who will always say, I need to have more evidence till I can believe. But there's enough evidence already. They already have seen enough evidence. What they need is a change of heart. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who believes in me will never go hungry and will never be thirsty. So Jesus is the bread of life for people's soul. He feeds and sustains us. He satisfies our deepest spiritual needs. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Through him then, through his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins. We have the privilege of coming before him and asking for forgiveness through what Jesus has done. He's our role model in life, his humility, his lovingness, his inclusivity. He went to those who were outcasts, you remember, and his holiness. And he dwells within us by his spirit to guide us each day and to equip us. And hopefully, bit by bit, it's probably hard to see, maybe hard to see in me, he transforms us to be more like Jesus. But hopefully, as we get further on, live to be 150, we might get there. So we need to feed on the bread of life, Jesus. So we need to train ourselves by feeding on the word daily and by putting it into practice and also by surrounding all your circumstances in prayer. So I'll close then with uh, a part of Seth Lengthman's song, based on an old hymn that you might know. Through the night of doubt and sorrow, onward goes the pilgrim band, singing songs of expectation, marching to the promised land. One, the object of our journey, one, the faith that never tires, One, the earnest looking forward. One, the hope our God inspires. Thank you, Sarah.